Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. This morning, I was watching the news and I heard something that blessed me. Maybe some of you heard the same. You know all the issues that are going on in Maui. And there was a person on the island who they were interviewing and she said, I know where my help comes from. She said, Adonai hears every word that I pray. He said, every word that we pray, Adonai hears, so I'm not worried. And I was thinking, all of the devastation, all of the loss, and she's calm, and she's confident, because Adonai, when you know that Jesus is your Lord, catastrophe can come, you'll still be calm. See, that's faith. In the midst of all that, lost everything. She said, I know where my help come from. Some people are looking to the governor, some are looking to the mayor, some are looking to the president. But she said, I know where my help come from. In Psalm 121 and 1, David, when he says, my, I shall lift mine eyes to the hills from which cometh my help. It's a question mark. So we quote it wrong. He's like, which come, you think my help comes from the hill? Then he says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. When you have that in your spirit, come what may, you will remain confident. Let's go to our first verse. That was a setup for the word, Mark 5 and 36. We're going to take our time because it's been a minute since I've been here to speak to you. And I miss you. I miss this. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best for God and for you. So let's do this together. Mark 5 and 36. It says, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid, only believe. Before we get into our primary text, I wanted that as a pretext to give you some context before we get to our text. So this pretext comes after Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. He's not a rabbi elder, but he kind of runs things in the synagogue. I have a friend in Israel, in Tel Aviv, who is in high places in the synagogue. He's not a rabbi, but he's a ruler of the synagogue. And in two places in the New Testament, they talk about the ruler of the synagogue. Here, in Mark 6, and in the book of Acts, when Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, took Paul in when they kicked Paul out of the place he was teaching. So it's good to have friends in high places, but even though Jairus was a ruler, there was something that was beyond his reach. His daughter was sick. And when he came to Jesus, he said, Master, my daughter is lying at the point of death. But if you would just come and lay your hands on her, I know she's going to be all right. Sometimes we need a touch from him. And we need to go to him, lay your hands on me, Jesus. I don't mind. So at this point, she was at the point of death. But some other things happened, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But for the context, the pretext for this text is that now one of his servants from the synagogue came to him and said, Jairus, don't trouble the master anymore. Your daughter is dead. She went from the point 
of death. She was dying. She was at the point of death. But if I'm Jairus, I'm thinking, Lord, if you just come and lay your hands, this is urgent. I need you to come now. Have any of you gone to Jesus with something urgent? And it looks like he's taking his time. That's what Martha and Mary felt when Lazarus, Lord, you come after four days? Don't worry. Do you know who I am? You're waiting for the resurrection. I am the resurrection. I pray that God would give us a greater revelation of Jesus Christ today. Do it, Lord. So Jesus says to him, as soon as he heard the words that she was dead, because he knew, Mom Barlow, how that would affect the heart. Can you imagine a father who's coming seeking help, something beyond his reach, out of his control? Now he heard this. Jesus always comforts us with his word. It says as soon as Jesus heard it, heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid because fear and faith can't occupy the same vessel. He said, don't be afraid. What do we want him to do? I want you to only do one thing. Believe. When I believe, I can't be fearful. If I'm fearful, I don't believe. Like the two of them can't occupy the same space. No more than darkness and light can occupy the same space. When light comes in, darkness goes out. When, when darkness covers, light is not present. Are you with me? Now what happened between Jairus coming saying, my daughter is at the point of death. Lord, if you just come and lay your hands. Two, now him getting a word that she's dead. So now let's get the context. While Jairus was talking to Jesus, Jesus has a crowd all around him. He had just come from the other side. He said to his disciples, Deke, let's cross over to the other side. And while they were crossing over, a storm came up. He had to deal with their unbelief. He even said to them, why is it that you have no faith? Didn't I say to you, let's go to the other side? That's why we have to not only know his word, we got to believe it. If Jesus says, we're going to the other side, we're going to the other side. Nothing can stop us. He gets up, he rebukes the wind. But when he gets to the other side... There's a man named Legion there. Now, this is all in one day. I'm giving you this because this is something. Because he has the spirit without measure. He can take care of all of us and not be tired. He gets to this man that nobody could tame. And he breaks chains and fetters. Jesus goes and speaks to the spirit and says, what's your name? When the spirit sees Jesus, he's like, I know who you are. See, the demons know him. I know who you are. You come to torment me before it's time. He said, hold your peace. Shut up. Shut up. What is your name? My name is Legions because we are many. And Jesus, before he cast them out, they begged him, let us go into the swine. Demons are not stupid. They're not stupid because they realize these are Abraham's seed and they're herding swine. They're not supposed to do that. I know that I'm, I'm wrong. I know you're going to get me. But at least let me go into the swine because demons need a place to occupy. And that's why they look for dry places. They want to go to unoccupied places to occupy that. They walk around looking for dry places. So they go in. The swine is killed. Jesus tells the man, go tell your family what the Lord has done. You can't come with me. You go back and you tell your family. So now they get on the boat and they go again to the other side. Now, Jairus comes, but there's a crowd. And in the crowd, there's a woman. I want you to write down 12. There's a woman that had an issue of blood for how long? Guess how old Jairus' daughter is? Write down 12. How many disciples that Jesus called, did Jesus call? There's more. I just want you to get those three. We're going to wrap this up in a minute. We're going somewhere. 
there's something about 12. But anyway, while Jesus is listening to Jairus, this woman comes and she's pressing through the crowd and the writers of the gospel tells us that people are thronging him. See, there's a lot of people who are bumping up against him, but they don't know how to touch him. They don't know how to touch him to get virtue out. Sometimes we're struggling because we're not touching him the right way. See, Jairus had a desperation for his daughter, and he said, Jesus, go touch my daughter. This woman had a desperation for her condition. She said, if I could just touch, if I could just touch, put the picture up. Put up the picture. Take that good-looking dude off the screen right there. I recognize him. Put the picture up. Y'all still got me. So this woman is going. So here it is. So I want you to notice something. She's unclean. She can't touch the Lamb of God. Right? Because now you would spot the unspotted Lamb. So she knows I can't touch him. But if I could just touch the hem of his garment and see that hem, you see the blue in the tassel? In the book of Leviticus, it's written that the priests who are holy unto the Lord will have that tassel. So she knew something about the word. She knew something about the word. She saw that and realized that this one is holy. I don't know if she knew him or not. She just knew about him. Jairus is talking, but she's pressing. You want him to touch your daughter, but I need to touch the hem of his garment. If I could just touch the hem of his garments, I know I'll be. She didn't say, I think. If I touch it, maybe I'll be all right. No, 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 no. I'm going to get through this crowd, all these people. I'm not touching Peter. I'm not touching James. I'm not touching John. I'm not touching Bartholomew. I'm not talking, touching any of these. I'm touching him. Part of, the, part of the challenge we sometimes have is we're touching the wrong thing. Sometimes we're looking, keep that up, keep that up. We're looking sometimes for the right thing in the wrong places. What am I talking about? If you are looking for perfection, I know one who's perfect in all his ways. He's perfect in all his ways. Don't look to me or, any, or your neighbor for perfection. Only look to him. And because our, when our eyes are taken off him, we can be critical. Even though we don't have a critical spirit, like the most criticism that I hear about the church, you know where it comes from? From the church. No, seriously. People who love God and who mean well because you're looking for something that is good, but you're looking in the wrong place. And you stop saying nobody's perfect. Stop saying that because your expectation. God says, I will perfect those things that concern you. When we study Colossians in April, we're going to show that there are some things that are perfected in us because of him. So if we keep our eyes on him, we'll even like ourselves better. Instead of making excuses for sin. I ain't, nobody's perfect. Everybody does it. So I'm giving myself permission to do stuff because of my humanity. But I want you to know something. We are partakers of his divine nature. And we're accepted in the beloved. And so sometimes we need to touch him. Somebody say, if I could just touch. So Jesus is listening to Jairus. And she reaches out. She touches him. She knows the word because it talks about the blue tassel.
And in the ancient Hebrew, in the Old Testament, they got the blue from a sea urchin. They would go and that had, it naturally had the color blue. So it took work. What does that mean? Holiness requires work. And when he talked about the tassel on the priest, he said, when you see this, you will remember holiness unto the Lord. None of the other apostles were wearing that tassel. That's how she knew that's the one. That's the one that I want to touch. She reaches out and touches him. And the Bible says, immediately she felt in her body that she was healed. The blood dried up. She was healed. Jesus, now, after he says, who touches me, he turns to her. He said, virtue went out. Any of you who've done any work in ministry and your virtue has gone out, you need to recover. You need to recover. And people who are discerning even pray for you so that you can recover. But Jesus was given the spirit without measure. He doesn't need to recover. He don't need to recharge his battery. But the man Christ Jesus, the way he would recover is go apart into a mountain and pray. He would go and pray. That's how we ought to recharge also. Selah. So now she touches him. We get to the verse where Jesus hears about the death. And now let's move on. So you got the pretext, you got the context. Let's get to the text. Mark 6, verse 1 through 6. Mark 6, verse 1 through 6. Then he went out from there. So now we know where there is, right? He had come on the other side, the throngs of people, and he was touched by the woman with the issue of blood. Now, from the other side, he goes out from there. Can somebody tell me where he is now? The verse will give you a clue. And came to his own country. Who said that? He's at Nazareth now. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? So what is their emotional state right now? Or they're, they're astonished because they hear the word. And then they say, and what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Here's a question you should be asking. Did they see him perform any mighty works? We'll answer that together. The text will make it clear. Is this not the carpenter? the son of Mary and brother of James, Joses, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. So they were offended at him. So they were offended at him. I just want to say this. We're going to keep reading. You don't have to be offensive for people to be offended at you. You don't have to be offensive for people to be offended at you. So what we're going to talk about today is the stronghold of unbelief. Unbelief is a stronghold. The stronghold of unbelief. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country among his own relatives and in his own house. 
That's one of the reasons we come to the Lord's house, to escape all this stuff. He says, it happens in your own country, among your relatives, and in your own house. Now, he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, just a few. The next verse, and he marveled because of their unbelief. How marvelous was their unbelief that Jesus marveled at their unbelief. The centurion, Jesus marveled at his faith. He, was, he had never been to a synagogue. He had never been to a religious fellowship. Jesus is in the synagogue. And he marveled at their unbelief. We're going to break that apart a little bit. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. There are a couple things I want you to see. First of all, Jesus understood why they were behaving the way they were behaving. That's why they were offended at him, but he wasn't offended. He knew honor comes everywhere. He's like, I was over with a demon-possessed man, and that man honored me. I was in the midst of people, Gentiles. They were, they were pressing up against me. And one of the daughters of Abraham came and just touched my garment and was made whole. They knew of me. They don't really know me. You're my home people. And you're talking about the one that you knew. You're, you believe that talk when people say, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Depending on where we're from, sometimes we believe the narrative. Can anything come from the bottom? You from North Philly? See, that's why the people from North Philly wear it with a badge of honor. It's only the people who are not from there who speak down on it. So you got to stand up. Yeah, I'm from North Philly. Yeah, West Philadelphia, born and raised. Come on, I'm from Patterson. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm from the hardest hard. That made me what I am. Where you from? I thought so. You look soft. I thought so. I could have told you. Like... They, people shouldn't make us shrink. We need to stand up. The first thing I want you to know is they were wrong about Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem. See, they knew him because that's where he grew up. See, I grew up in Patterson, but I was born in North Carolina. And my friends don't know that. They just, I'm just Patterson. That's all they know. And every time I go home, Sayonara, they remind me of who I was. And I have to say to myself, that's what I was, but that's not what I am. I am what God says I am. I'm more than a conqueror through him that loved me. I am accepted in the beloved. Because if you listen to people they will get you wrong and cause you to get yourself wrong. So they say, we know you. We know your family. Now, did they see any mighty works? The answer is no, because they said he couldn't do any mighty works there. So when he was in the synagogue, he was telling them, you know, I had, you see these guys I got with me, these 12? I'm still working on them because I said to them, Let's go to the other side, and they panicked. I was taking a nap because I knew what was coming, and they coming up, Master, don't you care if we perish? So I got up, I rebuked the wind. They probably, so that's why they were astonished. He rebuked, he has power over nature, and he said, oh yeah, but then we left there, 
And when we got to the other side, there was a man among the Gadarenes. And he was, nobody could, you heard about him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody could touch, touch him. And do you know what I did? I set him free. That's good, you talking to me. That was like a real question. I set that man free. And you know, he's home telling his people what wonderful things the Lord has done. They're still astonished. And then he said, and there was this woman, I never met her. I don't know where she's from, but I know for 12 years she suffered because she told me at the end, and I never touched her. I was on my way to touch a little girl who's 12 years old. And when this person touched me, virtue went out, and she was healed instantly. So now they start whispering. You know how you talk to your neighbors? It's like, isn't this Joseph's son? Mary is his mother? Oh, yeah, you know his mother. She had him out of wedlock. She had him, it's like, and now he's talking about, he holding. It's like, we know this dude. We know where he's from. And look at his brothers. They ain't about nothing. They can't even hold a job. They walk around all day. These dudes skateboarding all over Jerusalem. They, they're irresponsible. His family, they're carpenters. How does he know all this stuff? Where does this wisdom come from? This dude didn't go to school? Didn't they go to Egypt for a couple years? Yeah, yeah. You remember they went to Egypt? And Jesus is thinking, you don't. When I was two years old, my parents went to Egypt because that's where God, my father, was hiding me. Sometimes God is hiding you. And people think you're hiding out. You're not hiding out because in the time of trouble, he will hide you in the secret place. It was a secret place. It was such a secret place. Herod, the ruler of the whole world, couldn't find him. God will hide you in places where your enemies can't find you. In the time of trouble, he will hide you. God, make us discerning. Make us discerning. See, Jesus wasn't offended because he knew this is how it works. If you want honor, go somewhere else. Don't go where you grew up. You won't get honor. That's the word of God. Sometimes in your house, because people are familiar with you, they're very familiar. Isn't there a familial spirit? <laughs> there is. That's a question. I know the answer to it. There's a familial spirit that needs to be cast out. Paul had to cast one out. But the point is, when, when you are not offensive and people are offended, you need to discern why so that it won't impact you. So Jesus realized that there's a stronghold here. So he left the synagogue and the Bible says he went to the villages. Janine, he went where the people were. Jesus is brilliant. He's a genius. He said, if I can go where the people are, they'll come in the synagogue full of faith. And when they come full of faith, they'll receive my word. The stronghold of unbelief comes because the devil does not want you and me to receive truth. If he could keep you from all truth, he'll do that. If he can keep you from more truth, he'll do that. And we're living in an age where people have their own ideas about who God is. And some of the things that they say are outdated is because they don't know who God is. He said, I am the Lord your God, I changeth not. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. He doesn't change. He does not change. His word is immutable. That means unchangeable. My ideas can't change it. My conduct can't change it. A law can't change it. 
Nothing can change the word of God. The word of God is sure. It's steadfast. You can count on it. He can not lie. And he will not change. So Jesus went out and said, the way that I'm going to deal with this stronghold is I'm going to teach the people. Why didn't he teach them in the synagogue? And why did they resist him? A synagogue is a type of a church. Why did Jesus go out on a circuit rather than correcting it in there? Because they had their own ideas of who God was. And because their beliefs were wrong, they were locked in the stronghold. They were now in captivity to the stronghold of unbelief. Do you know that we're living in a generation? Like if you ever, if you ever, I do this with, my, with David and with my grandchildren to teach an abject lesson. So if they're interacting with Siri or any of the others that you could talk to, Alexa, I'll say, Alexa, in their presence, who is God? No answer. I don't know. Then I'll ask another question. It's like, Alexa, you know everything. If I say, Alexa, who is James Brown? He's the king of soul. You know James Brown, but you don't know None of that. There, there's no algorithms for that because they want to be neutral on things that are controversial so they don't touch it because they have no conviction, right? But now, chat GPT has created a Jesus. And you can ask Jesus and the questions, the answers to your questions will be in alignment with your preference. So you want to talk about affirming? So it's like, I can go to Jesus. Look up chat GPT Jesus. That's what, and you know what that, heaven calls that idolatry. Because he's the creator. You can't create in your mind who God is. You need to learn of him. You need to take his yoke upon him, you and learn of him. We don't, and see, the problem is, is that we're living in a culture who we define God. That's perverted. He's the creator. He created us. We need to know what he says about us. Let me ask you a question. If you had a Bentley, you say, okay, you got that. I, I'm not prophesying. <laughs> And if, you, and if you had a Bugatti, David says, Dad, you ought to get a Bugatti. Your car is not with it. So look up Bugatti and what it costs. And then y'all, you're like, you don't want it. <laughs> so let's say that you, though, all of you, you had a Bentley, you had a Bugatti in your garage, and you had, that was my next one. This man's a prophet. Yeah, Bentley or Rolls, either one. So let's say a Rolls Royce, a Bugatti, and a Maserati, all in your garage. Who receives that? Okay. No, you don't have to pay for it. You just got, y'all so holy, you won't even take a gift. What? What? This is not, this is not a time for false humility. I'm trying to make a point. So let's say you had all of them. Here's the point. So you have all three of them, and you have, you have a six-car garage. There's only three of them. So that's the conditions. You with me? So now that happened. Would you take all or any of those to pet boys to be service? See, y'all all got that. At first, you didn't want it. But you're like, I ain't taking my Bugatti to pet boys because they don't know what to do with it. The one who made us has a manual and it's called the Bible. It's called the Bible. 
and it has all the instructions of use. Why would you take, you're worth more than a Bugatti. You're worth more than a Rolls Royce and a Lamborghini put together. All that were ever made doesn't have the value of one who's created in the image and the likeness of God. You're worth more. You're worth more than far above rubies, gold and silver. If you have none, you're worth more. But yet, we take opinions, we take points of view, and we call that truth. The stronghold of unbelief will cause you to accept things even about yourself. People who've lied about your potential, you believe them. A teacher who said you'll never be nothing. There's an NBA player, his name is Jalen Brown. He's from Atlanta. He went to Cal where my son Dion went to school. And he, he over the years, he's still young, he's like 25, but he talks about a teacher, a teacher who said to him, I'll see you in DeKalb County Jail. Spoke to him. He just got the richest contract in the history of NBA. 375 million. He put on his social media post a note to that teacher. The point is, he realized, I'm not what you say I am. I'm more than that. And this young man, when he was at Cal, built a computer. Like, he's not just a jock. He's smart. Why would someone say that to him? That's why we have to protect him. But he had a, a momager at home who said, son, you can be anything. You're smart. And did I tell you, son, you're handsome. You don't have to settle for anything. We need to speak life to our children. What we say matters. One of the many reasons that I love my wife is that she checks what comes out of my mouth. Not while I have the mic, but when I'm home talking or when we're just doing shopping. If I say something, it could be the right thing, but I say it the wrong way. Bobby, you sound like you have an attitude. And if you say that to a man, it causes a hump in the back of your neck. It causes you to bristle. It's like, wait a minute, you can't say that. You're talking to me like that in front of strangers and in front of the kids. But what I've learned to do, because I love God so much, I want to obey him, that I check, is it right? So then I don't say anything. And you know what else I love about her? It never comes up again. We never discussed it again. That was two weeks ago. The first time it was discussed is me telling you to encourage you that what comes out of your mouth matters. And you need people around you to love you enough to hold you accountable because that causes you to grow. So then I'm less likely to do it again. You know why? Because I don't want to hear that. So I changed my behavior. And I'm not going to fight her because we'll be endless fighting. That's a losing proposition. It's a losing proposition. When she says something, I'll say, well, not about attitude. I'm the attitude police in my house. But I'll say, no, 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 don't say that because there's power in your tongue. We have to speak life over our children. Like, even if they do something we don't like, we speak life. That's how all of our children will be taught of God. We have, there are people in the world who are speaking ill of them, not in this house and not in our individual houses. We're going to speak life to our children. We're going to speak over them. We're going to pray for them. They're going to prosper. They're going to do exploits. They're going to have a spirit of excellence in them. And they will grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. 
that shall be the portion and lot of our children. Watch what you say. But this stronghold of unbelief caused them to reject the one who came to redeem them. He's right in front of them and they don't recognize him because of their ideas. That's why denominationalism is bad. Because it's built on religion and not relationship. That's why I want to communicate with all of God's people. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? That's the only thing that's essential. The other stuff is non-essential. All that other stuff you do, I ain't got time for that. I just want to love him. I want to get closer to him. I want to know him and the fellowship of his suffering and the power of his resurrection. I want to get closer to him. Unbelief moves me further away from him because without faith, I want to do the impossible. Not be in a position where it's impossible for me to reach God. Are you with me? These people were offended. Now I want to relate this to you. How am I doing with my time? They took the time down. That means time is up. They used to show me red numbers. When there's no numbers, that means, man, you passed that. So I want to reinforce this. I want to reinforce this so that you learn to be patient and to be kind. Even when people are offended by you, if you know that you haven't been offensive, then you discern, Lord, why? Because Jesus in the moment spoke to them as to what was driving their conduct. And he talked because he knows the nature of people. And then he did something about it. He said, I'm going to teach them because that's what's going to release them. The word of God will release them from every stronghold. Now, look at what else he did. Put up verse uh, 7. Mark 6 and 7. And we're going to land this plane. Mark 6 and 7. This wasn't a part of my message, but I saw it this morning and asked the team to put it up because it's very, very important because it's instructional to, to us. Seven, Mark six and seven. This is how we get, we loose people from the stronghold of unbelief. The first thing Jesus did is he went to the villages in the circuit. Then he called the what? The 12 to himself and began to send them out. Somebody say those three words. Send them out. Come on. What did he do? See, that's Jesus' strategy. He went around the circuit, but he's like, no, no, no. This is not for me to do alone. I'm going to send them out. And he began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. Because Minister Sample, he knew what they were going to encounter. I'm sending you out, but I'm giving you power over these things. Now, these are the same ones that he said on the boat, why is it you have no faith? So he kept them with him. So do you know what happened, y'all that know the story of Jairus, when he got to the house? So when he was leaving, he left all the people. He left before he put them out, sis. Don't jump ahead. But you're right, he put them out. And then he left nine of his disciples. He only took three. Peter, James, and John. Sometimes he needs to teach leadership something. All 12 were leaders, but he said, Peter, James, and John, you have a lot on your shoulders. I need you to see this. So he goes into the house. And all the people are there. They're crying. Jesus said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't weep. She's not dead. She's asleep. And the Bible says they began to ridicule him. See, there are some things about his word, Pastor O, that don't make sense. People will laugh. You don't, I'm, as I was preparing for this message, I said, Lord, help me to discern. 
the things that you're talking to me, to me about that are about me and the things that you want me to share with your people. Because if I share the things that are just for me, they're going to ridicule me. They're going to say, man, this dude done lost it. You done lost it. You have to know what to say and when to say it. So these people ridicule Jesus. He was trying to build up their faith because if he said, yep, she's dead, they would have lost it. You, you're crying. You don't know that the prince of life is in your presence. So I'm trying to make it easy on you. I'm giving you what you can handle. So then what did he do, sis? He put him out. He only let the parents, mother and father, because I know you have a heart for her. You need to see what the Lord is about to do. And then Peter, James, and John, whose faith has built up to the point where he can trust them to come in the room. Jesus goes by the young girl's bed, who is 12 years old, and he says, damsel, I say to you, little lamb, little lamb, rise up. She got up, Jesus said, walk around, told her parents, get her some food. And then he went out. I wonder, Esther, what did the people say who were ridiculing him? They who thought that there was no hope, they probably said, yeah, we knew she wasn't dead. She was taking a nap. She wasn't moving, but she was sleeping. Yeah, yeah, you know that girl, she had them seizures. She was out. Like, you come up with, the point is, you come up with things to justify your position versus saying, I didn't believe his word. There was a man whose son was gravely ill. The disciples couldn't heal him. You know who I'm talking about? And they said, Lord, why couldn't we do this? This kind. But the father, and here's what I want our heart cry to be. The father, when Jesus says, all things are possible, if you can just believe. He said to Jairus, only believe. He said to this father, it's possible if you only believe. He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Stand together with me. And I want you to say, we're about to go home. We're about to go home, amen. I want you to say this as loud as you can, because if it comes from your belly, it's more convincing, not just to the people around you, but to you. Are you ready? Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Come on, say it again. One more time. Let me tell you why this exercise is not just cathartic. It's to infuse faith. Because Jairus had the faith to believe that while his daughter was at the point of death, if Jesus could just lay his hands, she would be all right. But the situation went from bad to worse. And it's like while he's in prayer, while he's in prayer, Deshaun, things go from bad to worse. And they said, don't trouble the master anymore. It's over. And Jesus, when he heard that word, encouraged him and said, don't be afraid. Only believe. The Spirit of God is telling me to speak to, to you expressly. Don't be afraid. Only believe. I know that it appears to be going from bad to worse. Don't be afraid. Only believe. There's a level of desperation when something comes on us that causes us to reach out and touch him.
But when we come on behalf of another, even if they're close to us, we need the Lord to touch them. But even when it looks like it's going from bad to worse, I want you to know that that's not the time to be afraid. It's the time to only believe. I promise you by the word of the Lord and the authority of the Spirit of God, whenever we do God's will, the enemy is coming. And he wants to grip you with the stronghold of unbelief. But we believe God that it shall be just as he has spoken unto us. It doesn't matter if darkness covers a situation. There was a time Paul was on a ship for 14 days, two weeks, didn't see the sun. 24 hours for 14 days, Deacon Cunningham, it was dark. And an angel of God came and spoke to him. Just as Jesus encouraged Jairus, an angel told him, not one life is going to be lost. Everybody, he said, just stay on the ship. And then Paul said to them, I believe God that it shall be even as it was spoken to me. But the people didn't believe him until he took some action. They hadn't eaten for two weeks. Paul realized that faith has to be put in action. Somebody needs to hear this. So he took some bread, Xavier. He gave thanks and, and he started to eat. And you know what happened? Everybody ate. The storm was still raging. The sun still hadn't shined. But Paul demonstrated, I believe God. So when your conduct demonstrates that you believe God, faith is quickened in other people. That's the place God wants us to be. I, now somebody say, I believe God. I believe God more than my circumstances. I believe God more than my situation. I believe God more than my trouble. I believe God more than my disappointment. I believe God more than betrayal. I believe God. And it shall be as he has spoken unto me. Somebody give God a hand clap. Somebody give God a praise. Do you love him? Do you love him? We're about to close. Let's sing all oh, how I love Jesus together. Something's going to happen when we simply sing all oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Do you really love him? Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus Oh, how I love Jesus Oh, how I love Jesus Because He first One more time say Oh, how I love Oh, how I love How I love Jesus Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, because he first loved me. Sing it, sing it song, sing it song. Keep singing. Every eye closed, every head bowed. 
If you're in the company of this fellowship today and you want to be closer to Jesus and you want to fellowship with us at New Covenant because we're going somewhere we really love him if that's you would you raise your hand every eye closed every head bowed if you want to be a part of this fellowship would you raise your hand this is your opportunity Yes. Come on, daughter. Come on, is there another? Oh. How I love Jesus. Oh. How I love Jesus. Oh. How I love The Lord is waiting for you. Come on, this is your time. Come on. Love me. Oh, how I love Jesus, 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 because he first loved me. We met at Chew and Shelton yesterday. So our dear sister gave her life to Jesus Christ yesterday at Chew and Shelton. Let's rejoice. As heaven said, they rejoice over one soul. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh. She wants to join the church. Everybody welcome our sister. Can I pray with you? Father, we thank you for this, your daughter. This is the soul we heard about yesterday, God. And now you have her here. We were all rejoicing because we know, God, that heaven rejoices over even one soul. And so we thank you for this sister's life, God. We thank you for her purpose. We thank you, God, that everything that you ordained for her before the foundation of the world is coming to pass even now, God. We are honored that you have entrusted her to this body. And so we pray, God, not only for our sister, God, as she as she decides she decided to give her life to you but now she's deciding to make new covenant her home we pray god you make us available to her god we pray father in the name of jesus that you make us sensitive and ready god to help develop her as a disciple of christ father we thank you father in the name of jesus that she will walk into all the fullness of god for her life and for her legacy in the name of Jesus. Bless our sister. Keep her, Father. Make your face shine on her, God. Be gracious unto her, Lord. Lift up the light of your face upon your daughter, our sister, and give her your peace, God. We thank you for the family members who are coming. We thank you for the testimony, God, that she will share as we continue to go out together and for all of those who will come in because she has given her life to you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Because he first loved me. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Singing, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I Because he first loved me. See, that's what happens when you go on the circuit and you witness. She visits one time and she says, I want to be a part of this. She heard the word maybe yesterday for the first time in her life. And she comes. I want to encourage you with these words just before we take up the offering. 
You remember the, the text said he could do no mighty works among them, except he laid hands and healed a few sick folk. You know what that means? That's not a mighty work. That's a rite of passage for every believer. The laying on of hands and the healing broke through even their unbelief that caused Jesus to marvel. Any of us, Lord, I believe that when I lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. They have to recover because you said so. Sometime, are you, are you doing all right? You doing all right? I don't want you to get impatient with me, but it's been a minute since I talked to you. I want you to know how much I love you and how much I want you to succeed and to be mighty in the kingdom. My son David has been having some GI issues. We went to the, we went to the emergency room a couple weeks ago and I was sitting there holding his hand and we were there until the sun came up. And he said, Dad, why is this happening? And I'm holding my son's hand. I just, I'm depending on the doctors. I want them to do something. Do every test. Do everything. He's a young athlete. He needs to be well. So one night, in the middle of the night, during the fourth watch, God says, go in his room and pray for him. And I said, Lord, he's sleep. And I'm sleep. I'm sleepy. Can I be honest with you? I said, I'm sleepy. Go and pray for him. I kept laying there. But the first thing in the morning, I went and woke him up. I put my hand on his stomach. And I prayed for him. And I said, David, I already prayed for you. Dad didn't sleep last night. I've been praying for you. This is a week or two after the, the emergency room because I realized what the doctors did didn't work. And I said, I'm praying for your sake. I want you to hear me pray because God's already heard me and he's done it. And I said, son, you're healed. Um, Testing, testing. He still has symptoms. And I said, son, God has healed you. So I asked him, you feel healthy? Yeah, dad. But do you know why the symptoms persisted beyond that moment? Because I didn't obey. I should have got up then and went in his room, and he would have gotten it instantly. But I realized that. I said, Lord, I'm sorry, but heal my son. Here's the lesson. When you hear the word, be obedient. Because God is ready to move. But he's not going to move until you move. And because I decided not to move, he already knew I'm going to heal. I told you I'm going to heal him. And I got up in the morning, but then I had to pray again. Sometimes, sometimes what you think should be instant, God doesn't allow to be instant because he wants us to grow either in faith or obedience. It's one of the two, faith or obedience. Are you with me? Here's how I know. There was a man who was blind who Jesus prayed for, gave him the purest form of DNA, his spittle. The, the DNA that's in your saliva is more pure than blood. That's why forensic, they take a swab, put it on his eye. He said, can you see? Just like I asked David. Do you feel better? The man said, I see men as trees. He said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Sometimes we have to discern 
what is God's timing and what do I have to do? The devil wants you and me to be discouraged. Laying hands for healing is not a mighty work. It's the rape and passage for every believer. You saw the text. I want you to go home and read it again. It says he could do no mighty works there except heal a few sick folk. Who among us can't heal a few sick folk? Last thing, and we're going to take our offering. We're going to pray for the offering. The reason Jesus went outside, he went out to teach them, is so that when they come in, when we come in, we're full of faith. How does faith come? Put up that last verse. How does faith come? Come on. And hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In Philadelphia, according to the American Bible Society, only 9% of churchgoers read the Bible regularly and consider the Bible authoritative over their life. So that means even when they believe it, I mean, even when they read it, they don't take it as authoritative. Let that never be named among us. Faith comes by what? And hearing by the word of God. Everybody, you're entitled to your opinion. But let everyone be a liar and let God's word be true. Give God a hand clap. Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.